We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I love when that let's go thing comes on because that means it is time to roll Irish breakdown nation. IB nation. Welcome back to another edition of the Irish breakdown podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher and I am joined by that guy right there. Vince D'Addario. He is usually not allowed to eat during the show, but today is the last day of summer school and Vince is celebrating. So he is punishing some pizza on the last day of school. Gotta love that it. guy over there is Ryan Roberts, our director of recruiting at Irish Breakdown. And we are going to dive into our Irish Breakdown mailbag. But before we begin, a couple quick things. Please hit that like button. Subscribe to the channel. We went past 10,000. So now I'm begging for, for you guys to help us get to 20 because that's it, right? We got 10 down, 10 to go, right? And then also, if you're listening via podcast, give us a five-star review. And of course, as always, sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Before we dive into the questions, though, fellas, I wanted to remind people we will have a second show today at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2024 tight end Jack Larson. And I'm sure we'll have some questions about him in the show. He is going to be making his decision known tonight at 5 o'clock. It'll be between Notre Dame Michigan, Clemson, North Carolina, and NC State. So we will carry that live. We will uh, discuss whatever his decision may be and what's next for Notre Dame at uh, at tight end recruiting in the 2024 class. Guys, before we begin, I think it's smart for us to kind of first kick off a little bit about uh, the news that broke today with Jadarian Price, the freshman running back for Notre Dame. Uh, we found out about this four or five days ago. I think I told you guys a few days ago about this. Obviously, this is disappointing news, but uh, we finally got the go-ahead to run with it today. And and so he had the surgery today as well, according to the tweet from Notre Dame. The odds of him coming back at any point in time in the 2022 season is slim. That's just the nature of, of an Achilles injury. It's also something that Notre Dame reported in their tweet so I feel it's appropriate to talk about since they tweeted about it. And this is a blow, guys, because this is yeah. now the second the second running back that they've that sustained an injury. Logan Diggs obviously tore his labrum in, which is a shoulder injury, shoulder area injury in the spring game. He is expected to be back at some point in time this fall, but not likely to be at the beginning of the year. And then when he does come back, you're talking about a shoulder injury for a running back. 
you know, you don't just come back like, okay, here's 20 carries, you know, in his first game back. That's not normally how it goes. So puts him in a little bit of a precarious situation. But uh, the first thing is, is this is just a blow because you guys both had a chance to see Jadarian Price firsthand, Vince. And I know he was a kid that when, when you and I talked after that first practice that you were at, you were like, hey, this number 20, because I don't think Vince even knew who he was. I don't think they gave like a roster that day. Vince was like, I don't know who number 20 is, <laughs> but that guy's really good. Yeah. And, yeah. and so this is a, certainly a, a loss for Notre Dame. Even though he's never played, it's a loss for Notre Dame, guys. It's a huge loss for Notre Dame. I mean, it, it, we we talked about the the reasoning behind the running back club you know, room being so good is because of the depth, you know, and, and it's, it's high quality depth. Well, you have now lost two of the five from that depth and that's massive. Right. And we've heard uh, coach McCullough talk about the fact that there's eight starting positions in the running back room. Right. And, and he was looking for a space for a lot of those guys to take some of those starting spots. And you've eliminated some really good options, at least at the beginning of the season. And with Logan Diggs, I, from what I can tell, he's not going to be back to probably October-ish, depending on how things go, right? And so for at least a month, you're going to be looking at a three-man backfield if you don't count walk-ons, right? And that's concerning, but you can get away with three without any problem yeah. as long as you don't sustain any more injuries. And that's that's a big if because right. Notre Dame is going to be focused on running the football and running back you get hit every time you touch the ball right so it is going to be very difficult and when you're not touching the that. ball pass pro exactly stuff like that. right absolutely correct so and Chris Tyree has some injury history we've we've talked about that right so it's going to be very interesting we don't know really anything about the kid coming from IU uh, a whole lot about him at least we haven't put our eyes on him in a Notre Dame uniform you know and and so, yeah, it's going to be tough with three. Sure. You may even see one of those walk-ons get a little bit of time here and there, depending right. on how things go. And that's right. troubling. Anytime you use the word walk-on, that's troubling sure. to me. Sure. Although there's some guys that started off as walk-ons are pretty good football players. No but that's not what these guys were recruited to be. These guys weren't right. recruited for the same thing. Chris Fink was recruited as a walk-on, but Chris Fink was a guy that they knew could could play. Sure. Right. And not every walk on is on the team for the same reason. And I think, you know, you, the first guy Absolutely. I think of is Chase Ketterer, who yes. I actually think is a pretty good football player. Absolutely. Uh, but you don't want to be, you know, you can beat a lot of teams with that. You just, you know, you, you what it is is you've got to get through the Ohio State game. Yeah. And then yeah. you got about a month until the BYU game. Sure. To try to, to try to survive. Look, and, and there's some, if Chris Ketter, if, if, if Chris Ketter is your number three back, you can beat Marshall and Cal. Absolutely. North Carolina. No question. You Chase know. Ketter is a good running back. Okay. Right. For, I, and, for, I, for, for, a, for, for a, what he is, for what he correct. was recruited to do. Yeah. He was recruited to be the option quarterback, Right. but he can run the football and right. running the football is running the football. I right. mean, he, he has talent yeah. and they, they just brought in the Mishawaka quarterback right. who runs triple as well. He yeah. can run the football, you know he what I mean? Get like, you through some games if you exactly. need to, but it's not, he's not going to be, you're not being Ohio state with him. You're not, you beating, can't sustain a bunch of injuries. Right. That's the right. bottom line. And Ryan, the, the other part of this too, is, you know, we talk about three running backs, but you know, Jabron Payne's a guy that we broke down quite a bit here and very talented player, but he's not a guy mm -hmm. we've seen healthy for two years. And so, right even though he's on the depth chart as a third guy, there's a lot of unknowns, even with a guy like Jabron Payne. But I'll say this, Ryan, and I'll kick it to you. Mm -hmm. If Jabron Payne is healthy, the one positive is this kid's going to come to the year fresh because he has not played a lot of football. He may be rusty, but he's going to be fresh. But he's a talented kid. It's just it's just that uncertainty of we just don't know where he's at health-wise because he hasn't been healthy since the sophomore year of high school. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I mean, it ends up being big that they ended up taking a second back in last year's class, right? Yes, because now you're... Now you're looking at the depth piece, and it is very troubling, to say the least. And like you said, I mean, Jabron Payne misses his whole junior year. And then what did he have, Brian, his senior year, like 60 carries or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was like, like he was had very, like less than 300 yards rushing. Yeah, right. yeah, it was it was very limited opportunity. So, he, like you said, he basically hasn't played in a couple of years. Now, when he's healthy, he's a pretty dynamic player, man. Like, he's right. got some juice to him. He's got some ability as a pass catcher. There's, there's some talent there for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a talent issue. It, this is just more of a situation where – I think I think that they were kind of hoping that you might be able to ease Jabron along a little bit, right? Make sure that he's fully healthy, maybe even redshirt him, do all that type of stuff, and then kind of ease him into the into the fire a little bit. But now, mm-hmm. I mean, he is going to be forced because, like like Vince said, you're going to have digs at some point. You would think in the 2022 season, but it's no absolute when exactly that will be. And without having a Jadarian Price, you need a guy now that's going to be able to supplement some carries or, or some touches, I should say. So I think that Jabron Payne now is very important to this football team. He's not just a guy that's going to be eased along. He's going to be a guy that's going to have to come in. He's going to have to play a little bit. I'll say this again. If the current group can stay healthy, the guys that are left. I'm not overly worried about right. the ability to run the football. Right. We've talked a lot about Chris Tyree the last week. And full disclosure, there was an article I wrote about Chris Tyree that that came out a few days ago. I had an idea that that Jadarian Price was injured, but we had been talking about that and working on that article for a while. Uh, So it it wasn't because of Jadarian Price being hurt that that article came out. It just was the timing. But I also wanted to be honest with people and be like, you know, just let them know kind of the timing of the whole thing. But the reality is, is if Chris Tyree is healthy, he can be a thousand yard back. We discussed this the sure. other day. We'll need to dive into that again, but he's going to do it on fewer carries. He's not a 15 to you know carry then three to five catches per game for 12 games kind of guy. If you want to keep him fresh and healthy and playing a dynamic game. So a second back will have to step up. I don't think Jadarian price getting hurt affects Chris Tyree at all. 
I don't think Logan Diggs getting hurt necessarily impacts Chris Tyree at all. If Chris Tyree is healthy and playing his game, he's a starting running back. And anyone at Notre Dame will tell you that. Here's the thing, though. The injuries are have opened up a golden opportunity for Audric Estime. And we have we had a couple yes. comments about that. Notre Dame 2164. I, for one, am really excited to see what Estime can do. Great opportunity for the man child. What do you guys think? I hate seeing kids get opportunities like this because of someone else being injured. But it's the world we live in, right, in, in, in college athletics. So the opportunity is there, and I'm not going to celebrate why the opportunity is there, but the opportunity is there. Sure. And, and sometimes we forget this kid is really good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ryan, you're talking about a guy, you know the level of football he played against in New Jersey, and it's not yeah. bad level. This is a kid that rushed for 1,800 yards and, and, and averaged 9.8 yards per game and 22 like, touchdowns in eight games. Yeah, I was about to say, it was only eight like eight games. football games. Yeah, yeah, it yes. was crazy numbers. This crazy. Is, and, and as you said, Ryan, you know the teams he's playing against. He's not playing against some small level of football, nobodies, right. you know, that are going to Union and Rowan. He's playing against He's playing uh, against really good football teams. Was that I coached, at Rowan? No, not at all. I coached against both of those teams. Uh, I'm 0 for 2 against Rowan. Also coached against Union. Uh, but uh, and played against William Patterson. So I'm very familiar with that level of football. But mm-hmm. that's not who he's going against. He's going yeah. against other Division One FCS caliber football players and put up the numbers he put up. So, you know, you hate to see the reason why, but this is a certainly an opportunity that for Audrick Estimate to step in and sure. show what he's capable well, of. And, things and he's more aerodynamic now, too, because he dropped that double that second digit off of his jersey. Yeah. He's only got the single digit. Well, he's more aerodynamic now, so it's all good. He also has now the best number in college football. You know, which helps. <laughs> let me guess. You were number seven uh, in college. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> um, and also the greatest quarterback of all time, more number uh, seven for the Broncos. There you but, go. Uh, yeah. No comments in response Tom, to that. If you, if you value your job, if you value your job, you will not respond to that comment. Right. I saw Jimmy it. Lawson. I saw it. <laughs> uh, but in, in all seriousness, I, this is obviously a tremendous opportunity. And I'm I'm actually very intrigued by what a one two punch regardless of circumstances, of what a one-two punch of Chris Tyree and Audric Estime can be Absolutely. because they are very different that's, players. That's a thunder and lightning that I'm okay with. You know what I mean? And, and again, if they keep the three guys healthy the, the the remainder of the season and then you bring Logan Diggs into the equation as well midseason, I have no problem with it. I have yeah. no problem with it. It's just, it just worries me from a depth standpoint. It's the same argument that I would use at wide receiver – Sure. The, the the guys that they're planning on playing are going to be good. Like, I have a lot of faith in those guys that they're going to be playing. It's if you have to sustain a few injuries, then it's the depth issue that becomes part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Same thing at running back now. The, the top line guys, the three guys that are going to get playing time, I have a, a, a so much faith in. It's just if they have to sustain an injury, then we have to rethink it a little bit. But if those guys are healthy, and I mean – Granted, there's going to be dings and there's going to be things sure. of that nature. You're We're talking back. about being able to step up yes, and play. Exactly. Right? So the running backs are healthy up until the the first week of fall camp is over. I mean, exactly, and that's the entire absolutely. football team as far as being 100%. I mean, that's absolutely. So, yeah, I, I have no worries about the guys that are going to be getting touches in the backfield for Notre Dame. It's just they need to stay healthy. That's right. the bottom line. Ryan, there's another aspect of this, too, that we have to consider is as far as taking carries away. This is a little bit of a different situation because, number one, you I think they can do some really unique things out of 21, 20 personnel, which we discussed in a recent show. But, you know, especially in the big games, Ohio State, BYU, Clemson, USC, maybe Stanford, depending on, on what they be, BC, 
those are games where there's another kid that's going to get a lot of touches in those games too. And that's number 12, Tyler Buckner, you know, and, and then also of what you and I discussed the other day, Ryan, about the receiving depth chart, Ryan, that was you and I, right? Like I get the shoes shows confused. You and I talked receivers, right? <laughs> yeah, you did. Then yep. you and I talked breakout players. Correct. Uh, you also have situations of like a Brayden Lindsay who can get two to three touches a game sure. on jet sweeps and reverses. Yep. You have Avery Davis can do some of those things. Remember Avery Davis was running back in 2019. Mm-hmm. If, if there's an emergency situation, it's not ideal. You don't want to have to do this. But, you know, he's another guy that could do some things, get some carries. But at the end of the day, the guy that's really going to help with the workload is number 12 in the big games. I'm not running Tyler Buckner 15, 20 times against Marshall. I'm not doing it against Cal. I'm not doing it against UNLV and Syracuse. But if I got to run him 20 times against Ohio State to win that game, then you know what? I'm running him 20 times against Ohio State to win that game. Absolutely. And I think that has to be considered, too, when you talk about the workload on the one-two punch of Chris Tyree and Audrick Estimate even before we get into Jerron Payne. So I think – that helps as well and must be considered, Ryan. Yeah, no, you have to pick your spots with Tyler Buckner. If you, if you handcuff his athleticism, then you're not using it the right way, right? Like he's a dual threat option. He's got incredible athleticism. He's a very strong runner. There's a lot of things to like about him in the quarterback design run game. That's why he had the role he had last year, right? Like, cause that element was too valuable to not use in some capacity. So I agree that there, I think it's more just about, like you said, you got to pick your spots, right? You know, even if it's in a, an important ball game, even if he's not running the ball at a high volume, maybe it's a, you know, third and goal from the two yard line where you just line up and run quarterback power. Or, right. or it's a, it's a very crucial situation. You have to mix them in and the zone re game. I think we all agree is going to be a huge part of the offense. You know, if, if it's running correctly, even the, even the pass off of, off of the read. So I think that that is right up Tyler Buckner's alley. I think that he brings a dynamic element, a physical element, you're always going to have to worry a little bit because, I mean, because then you have to start talking about he's been banged up at points too, but you can't shy away from what makes right. Tyler Buckner so special. You you have to use him as an option. There, the threat of Tyler Buckner has to be a reality, right? There, there were times that they were doing zone read concepts and there was no threat that the quarterback was going to take off with the ball, right, with, with Jack Cohn. That's just a reality. You have to have the threat of that. Otherwise, it takes away – the effectiveness of that entire scheme and of that that the entire makeup of the way that that is supposed to be run. So, yeah, you're going to have to run him against those teams. There's no question. And in the big games, if that's what they're giving you, you got to exploit it, man. I mean, that's how you win those games. There's no question about it. So you got to be smart about it. I mean, that's why these coaches get paid what they get paid, that they're really good coaches. They're going to be smart about it. But you have to use it to your ability. There has to be the reality that he's going to throw it. It can't be a situation where – you go into a game like we can't have Tyler on the ball and you're running yeah. things where he's not even an option that tips the defense True. and then they're able to be effective. You have to run your offense. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's where a guy like Drew Pine is so valuable, <clears throat> right? I mean, you, you now again, do you do it to beat Cal? You shouldn't have to do it to beat Cal. You shouldn't have to do it to be Marshall. Agreed. You shouldn't have to do it again. But again, in those big games, whatever it is, if it means five times, if he's a decoy, I, I don't care. You just got to do what you got to do to win the game. Right. Here's where I think the injury to Jadarian Price got the biggest shakeup. That is in the kick return game. Hmm. Because with the depth chart issues, if Chris Tyree is your number one back. Yeah. Now, yeah. if Audric Estime earns that number one back and Chris Tyree sort of like seven to ten touches, seven to ten carries, three to five catches, I'm okay with him taking three or four kick returns, hopefully fewer kick returns in a game. But if he's the number one back and he's going to be ten plus carries and three to five plus catches, I think you have to think about 
putting somebody else back there to return kicks. Now, sure. the problem is one of the guys that we talked about, we had we've addressed this before. Who was the guy we talked about replacing him if he does become number back? It was Jaren Bryce, <laughs> you know. Yep. So if he's out, I think that does add something to where Brian Mason's going to have to, you know, think. And, and along with the offensive staff and Marcus Freeman, that's one of those staff decisions that you all have to sit down and say, "Hey, look, sure. Coach Mason, I know that this is our number one option, but you know, we've 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 got it because again, you're talking about volume. Is it more important to have Chris Tyree healthy for the? 30 to 40 to 50 snaps he's going to play on offense and have someone else play three or four times on the kick return. Cause if your defense is as good as you Two, hope it is one, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're not returning a ton of kicks right uh, in the game. And do you have other guys that can still bring impact potential? I think they do. I do too. And, and do but too. the key is going to be finding it and, and who that is. Right. But if Chris Tyree is that guy, you know, I, I would just that's one thing I would take off his plate. Vince, I'm gonna ask yes. both of you this question. We'll start with Vince. Yeah, Vince, I, I what think, do you think I know, I think that's a really good point, and I think that there are options on this roster. I don't know that I could come up with exactly who those options are, but I was thinking to myself, that's gonna be one of the first things I'm gonna be paying attention to when we go to practice is sure. who is catching punts, who's catching kickoffs, you know, who are they putting yeah. back there? Usually, well, punt won't change a whole lot because Chris Tyree wasn't really, he wasn't doing return. punts. Yeah, you're right, right. it's more um, kickoffs. It's going to be very interesting to see how they approach that, to be honest with you. if they And I don't want to just echo what you just said, but I agree with you. If they can keep his carries under 10, then you keep him back there. That, that's, that's kind of the golden number for me. But you better have somebody else ready to go that you can step back in there where if Chris Tyree is having a game and you realize that he's going to be getting even more touches than maybe you even planned on, that you can put somebody else back there. Like there has to be a game plan. Look, I trust Coach Mason explicitly, or you know, with this whole situation, he's going to have a backup plan. I'm just saying, you better have somebody back there that's ready to go, just in case. You can start with Chris Tyree, but if the the balance of the game it's going a certain way and 25 is hot, then you keep feeding 25, but you put somebody else back there. And, and again, there's a lot of talent on this roster. This isn't. 10 years ago where it's like, okay, well, I don't know who's going to be returning kicks. I think there's a ton of talent. And I think that they're going to have that opportunity to find somebody that's going to be really good back there. I know the comment, someone you just pulled up, Ryan said, uh, it said, uh, um, sorry, Jabron Payne, Jabron Payne mm-hmm. as an option. I feel like he would be good in that role, but again, we're talking about the running back depth taking a hit already. I'm not sure I want to put a, one of the backup running backs back there on extra because yeah. a lot can go wrong on kickoff sure. sometimes man a lot can go wrong my only thought would be it would be a great opportunity to get him some touches and get him in the game and get him in front of a live environment in, in that situation if he's the best guy for the job I'd, I'd have no problem doing it but he'd have to clearly be the best guy for the job for the reason you mentioned ryan which is you can't afford another injury at running back right. but it kind of goes back to the buckner thing it's like but you also can't be afraid to you know, to go out there. So it's, it's one thing that it's a bit hypocritical. My statement's yeah. a bit hypocritical because we're talking about taking Chris Tyree off. It's not because I'm afraid Chris Tyree is going to get hurt per se. It's about his workload. Yeah. And as you guys said, Ryan, the hits that a, a, a kick returner takes on kick return can, can be violent. And, and it's a, it's more about the wear and tear because as we found out, you can get injured walking down the steps in the goo. You can get injured at summer workouts. You can get injured in practice. There's all types of different ways to get injured, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in, and, and uh, you know, like Vince, when we were young in major league baseball, they were a lot more open about how guys got injured. Yeah. I mean, I remember Eric Davis for the Reds going on a 15 day DL one time. Cause he hurt his neck the way he was sleeping on the plane. 
you know, you'd hear about guys getting injured because they slipped and fell in, in the shower. Well, and now Sammy, it's like... Sammy Sosa injured himself sneezing. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Or um, Andrew Bynum just got traded to the six, uh, the, the uh, Sixers, and he got hurt bowling. That was right. my favorite so, one I mean, ever. You can get injured doing a lot of things, uh, you know, but it's about, okay, are we going to increase the odds by putting a guy in this situation is really the thing you have to think about. So um, I, I think that's a that that makes it an interesting aspect of it. So... This is actually a decent point by Justin. I just wanted to bring it up here. He says, could it be like an ETN thing at Clemson? He only returned kicks in the big games. And that was on punts. He was returning yeah, punts, punts in the big games. Punts so are a little, little bit, bit of a different animal. Yeah. I, I mean, if if, if you – it just depends. I mean, is if Chris Tyree's clearly your best kick returner, you know, maybe you do have him returning against Ohio State and then the next few games, right, that you, mm-hmm. you, you decrease his workload. Uh, it just would depend on what the other guys are doing that would be the thing. Like if somebody steps up, like for example, if we're going into the 2023 season and we're having a similar conversation, I'm like, no, nah, I'm getting Micah Bell back there. I'm, you know what I mean? Right, like I'm, giving, right. I'm giving Mike a tease that, you know, if, the, if Notre Dame was able to get one of the it land, those two guys, or I'm, I'm going to give Peyton Bowen the opportunity. Cause you know, he's not really going to play a ton in, at safety yet, but man, we, you know, we got to find a way to get this kid to football. So right. there, there'd be situations like that. Uh, if there's players like that for Notre Dame, I can't think of a lot of secondary players, but you know, maybe this is a, a thing where Xavier Watts could maybe get an That's, opportunity. That would be you one know? of the first guys, like kind of off, like outside right. the box guys right. that I would try back. Lorenzo there. Styles is one that comes to mind. You know, he's a guy that was a, a good kick returner in high school. So there are some guys. I just think like the depth chart, the, the kick return, the, the return game depth chart is going to improve in the next couple of years, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the 2023 classes we get closer to signing day but i think that kind of wraps it up guys i think with that conversation if some more questions come up we'll, we'll gladly answer them but i want to kind of dive into the to the mailbag portion next but I, I i feel like we've we've been able to properly address uh we can we've properly addressed that so let's kick things off we have a super chat from bayside tiger six love that name. uh this is a great super chat and just a, we thank you for the super chat and this is just hilarious BK is the nickelback of coaches. He has a lot of records and media love, but not a Hall of Famer. Ooh. That's just a really salty, uh, salty is. comment. And and I and not I, a nickelback I, fan. I, I guess. dig it. Nickel, well, nickelback nick, nickels are getting more valuable though. So yes. I think I think we need to make him a, a holder or a long yeah. snapper instead or something. I you know it's funny. I actually kind of liked Nickelback when they first came out. I I thought that. But then it's like after like the third song, you're like, man, all these songs sound exactly the same, <laughs> right. you know, and you can't really tell the difference. But, uh, you know, I, I'm going to slightly disagree with that. I, I don't like I don't personally like Brian Kelly very much. And I don't I don't personally love the job he did the last five years. But a Hall of Fame career as a football coach is built on what you've done for the entirety of your career at all levels. And the fact of the matter is, is Brian Kelly has two national championships under his belt. You know, he did earn the most wins of all time at Notre Dame, which is a longevity award we've talked about. Sure. But he also, you know, got Notre Dame to the playoff twice, got them to a BCS championship game. The issue at Brian Kelly is he didn't maximize the potential of the program, but he also did some really good things at Notre Dame that I don't think we should just dismiss. So when you look at what he did at Cincinnati, I mean, the greatest three-year stretch in school history – I think I when I did some research at the time, I think they had like one or two 10 win seasons their entire history. And he had three in a row. 
You know, so if you're going to take the entirety of his career, with all due respect, I do think Brian Kelly's a Hall of Famer based on the conditions in which you are a Hall of Famer, which is what you've done at every level of football, not just at the Division One level, whatever the case may be. But when you take the entirety of his resume, I wouldn't, I wouldn't crush people. I wouldn't personally promote him to be a Hall of Famer, just for personal reasons. But if I'm being honest, um, you know, I, I think the entirety of his resume is that of, I mean, there's other hall of famers that have less impressive resumes than what Brian Kelly has for the entirety of his career. Is that a fair thing to say guys? Yeah. I, I just, I get, I, I have trouble with that, that argument sometimes though. Cause it's like, I always think uh parlay it's like the NFL conversation for a second. It's just like, cause just cause people made mistakes in the past doesn't mean that you have to continue to make the same mistake. Right. And I, I, I just, I don't consider him a hall of fame coach. I don't, I don't think the resume screams it to me personally, but it's just my point of view on it. So but I mean, I think that that the thing for me is you. I'm evaluating it based on what the Hall of Fame is, what it represents, not what I think it should be. You know what I mean? Like the that's why Larry Karras is in the Hall of Fame, right? For Mount Union, that's why Eddie Robinson is Hall of Fame. I mean, they didn't do it at the the same level, but that's what it's. And there's just one Hall know. of Fame. There's not like a like no. It's just, college, the it's just college Hall football, fame, right? Yeah. Because like, because like, look, Division three is still college football. Right. right. And if you are a great player at that level, I think there should be some recognize, you know, recognition for it. But you have to be like exceptional. And that's the thing for me. When you look at Brian Kelly, he won two national championships at Grand Valley, would have won three in a row if a starting quarterback didn't get hurt in, in like the second round. Uh, in two, that was a 2001 was actually could arguably their best team. And then Kurt Ains got hurt. Uh, also built the program to where Chuck Martin was able to win two more titles after Brian Kelly left, you know, so I think he played a role in that. He took over a bad Central Michigan team and, and, and by year three had him in 10 wins. He had the greatest three-year stretch in Cincinnati's history, led them to the Sugar Bowl uh, a year after. I think they went to the Orange Bowl the year before. This was when they were in the Big East, right? And then, of course, he had the success he had against Notre Dame. So, again, I wouldn't push for it, but based on the criteria that they use, I, I think paper, the case could be made. For I could it. see it on paper. I could. If I he was a nicer it. guy, if if he wasn't such a you know you know a person I dislike, I think I'd I think I think probably we'd all have a little bit easier time saying, yeah, you know what, he didn't win the ultimate prize at Notre Dame, but you know he did some really good things. It's just that that's what you get sometimes when you are. a don't treat people correct. You know, you're going to, yep. you're going to, you're going to have to really overcome a, a lot of that kind of stuff. Just your ordinary Joe to super chat. He says, Hey Vince, what exactly is the scheme procedure you teach baseball players such that three guys don't all say, I got it and bump into each other. <laughs> is there a football kickoff counterpart? There is, well, there's strategy to this Vince. So let's, let's there, go and there explain is. That. So for baseball, it really depends on where the ball is going, right? Most of the time, outfielders have the right of way, so to speak. And if you get called off by an outfielder, you best get out of the way because they ha they're running forward and outfielders are infielders are running backwards, right? So outfielders generally have the right of way. On the infield, I'll be honest with you, at times I'll yell out who I want to catch it because it's high school and I don't trust a lot of them. And I will yell the name of the person that I want to catch it. Um, <laughs> And that's that's that. But normally I'll let them take care of it. There's not necessarily an order on the infield. I don't really want my pitcher to do it just because of the up and down of the mound. And you, you twist an ankle and we're down the one pitcher that we had anyway. So that would be bad. So you generally let the actual position players take care of it. But uh, that, that's basically it. You don't want to get too in-depth when you're in high school. So that that's basically, again, I generally call out who catches right. the ball. 
So right. that's really how it goes. Now, as far as football is concerned, usually on kickoffs, there's one guy back. I mean, yeah. it's not there's not a whole lot of that goes into it. It's not like two guys back like there used to be or three guys back. Well, there's two guys back, but the other well, guy one guy's doesn't. Up. Right. I mean, yeah. Right. And and they'll kind of rotate. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there there's not as much calling it, so to speak. Uh, but they know who the primary yeah. primary return guy is. And if it's a short kick, then it's whoever can get to the yeah. ball the best. Uh, you know, they, they're the ones that are going to call for it. Yeah, Vince, when, when I, they, they, um, it, so it, you remember Andrew Jones, the outfielder? Oh, for the Braves? So his, yeah, for the Braves. His son is the top-rated baseball player in the draft this year, Drew Jones, and yep. he pitched for his high school. And it, used to, it made me cringe because I feel like there, there were so many highlights where it would be a pop-up to him. And he would go get it wherever it went. I'm just like, oh man, that's insane. It's, I, it's like, dangerous, but yes. at the same time, in high school, a lot of times that's your best player. And so I, <laughs> I get it. But man, just get out of the way. It just made me cringe a little bit. I'm like, yes. oh, I don't yes. like that. All right. Now, Vince, when I played there, the center fielder had like kind of veto power to a sure. degree, and the shortstop had Ab- veto power, and then the catcher yes. had veto power in certain situations. Right. Uh, and I think that's kind of. I actually. Kinda, I think that's where I say the kick return is relevant. Yeah, because if a kick returner says I got it, you let it go. But on like pop up kicks and things like that, you will practice it where one of the two kind of fullbacks can kind of fair catch it. Right. Right. Or if it's squib, if it's a squib and it's kicked right at you, you you know, there's certain rules. You know, if you're here, you let it go. If you're not, you know, that kind of thing. But sure. But if the kick returner says I got it, he's got it. And that was kind of like my my, you know, as far as the comparison to it's like a, a ball that's hit in that shallow, you know, between, you know, uh, second base and center field. You know, who has it, the shortstop or the center fielder? I was always taught that it's the guy coming up that always yeah. has the outfielder you know, the, has the, the right. call. The, right. it, it always. It, and you're right. When if, if it's outfield to outfield, the center fielder has the call. Mm-hmm. If it's outfield versus infield, the outfielder has the call. Right. I I've had catchers in my on my team that I trust explicitly, so I let them make the call a lot of times because mm-hmm. they can see a lot of things. And if they've got a big mouth like I do, it's very mm-hmm. easy for them to be heard. Um, but again, I will yell from the dugout because I trust no one. So <laughs> thanks, Vince. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. John A1 with a question. Do you suspect the linebackers will be better in coverage as a group in 2022? This is an interesting one, Ryan. And since you are the resident Mayor Sluifau, um uh, fan club member, mm-hmm. I will let you address this question. So I mean, do you I mean, suspect I think... the linebackers will be better in coverage as a group in 2022? Yeah, John, I don't I don't think that it's – I mean, I don't even think you need to expect uh, – suspected like i think it's a it's easily going to happen to be honest with you i mean maris loifel is an athlete right like six three plus or six six two and a half six three somewhere in that ballpark long arms he has going back to high school he played a lot in space in general i mean he's he's going to be a much better pass coverage player than a drew white just you know kind of apples for apples for like who compares who you're supplementing him in there right and then him going to will is also going to allow maybe a jd bertrand move to mike where he's better suited to play in coverage as a Mike linebacker than he will. And so I think, I think overall it's just, it's going to improve tremendously from just the, the presence of Amaris Loifau, because I think that he presents so much more coverage upside than let's say a Drew White, although Drew wasn't the bad coverage linebacker, Maris is just a much higher upside player in that department. So yeah. I think just his presence is going to improve it tremendously. Agreed. Didn't you have a thought on that? Well, I think if you also insert Jordan Botello at times, I mean, he's just long and athletic as well, and that's just going to help your pass coverage that much more, right? I mean, that's just 
just from a body type standpoint, how many times last year in a postgame show did we talk about the fact that, hey, you know, a lot of times they were in the right place, but they just don't have the length to make the play. And that it, that's just <laughs> biology, you know what I mean? And, and they've got a couple dudes who are long and lengthy, and they're going to be able to make some plays that some of the guys last year weren't able to make, regardless of whether they were in the right spot or not. So, yeah, I, I think it's definitely going to improve. Detroit Hunter asks, how early is too early taking these commitments? My fear is we could end up with another situation like this year at running back. I mean, it's that's an imperfect comparison, in my opinion, because last year we're talking about a completely different coaching staff, right? Like, I know it's the conversation on Cedric Irvin Jr. Cedric Irvin Jr. committed to Brian Kelly's staff, and then Marcus Freeman's staff, unfortunately, had to make a decision that they felt like was best for their program moving forward. If we're thinking in a year from now that Marcus Freeman's staff is going to be intact and he's still the head coach, that staff has already evaluated the town and they're the ones that are making these committable offers right now, right? And we already had a situation where I'm not going to say any names. Obviously, we talked about it with with the the Irish Players Club where there was a player that wanted to commit that Notre Dame was not ready to take their commitment, right? So Mm -hmm. they are going to take the offers for guys that they have evaluated and said those guys are fits into our school. So I don't think Detroit Hunter that it's it's a comparable situation at all because we're assuming that this staff is going to be the same one intact next year. So therefore, they are the ones that are evaluating right now as well. Obviously, I also think the last staff had a I mean it really started with the head coach had a mentality of you know well 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 this is a nice player and you know it's better to have him than nobody. And I think it kind of stemmed from the fact that they weren't going to challenge for top guys. If you look exactly. at who the early commitments were for Marcus Freeman last year, right? I mean, if you look at if you look at situations like, I mean, who 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 were the first few guys to commit on defense? It was Keon, Keon Keely. Keely, it was yeah. Brennan Vernon, right? It was Drake Bowen and Peyton Bowen were the first four <laughs> defensive commits, right? Those are different scenarios than taking Jack Nickel super early. And, and and that's where I think Detroit Hunter you get into is is you're spot on because you're looking at this holistically kind of going back a few years. But Ryan is also correct, and this is a different staff. And when you look at C.J. Carr, I mean he's a he's a five star caliber kid. You know Brandon Davis Swain just jumped up 161 spots in the latest Rivals rankings up to number 29. These aren't questionable takes. Even the only guy that I've looked at and kind of viewed as a questionable take, Owen Wafel, is simply because of how good the current class is, but you know, he plays a position that they don't have a lot of guys on or projects. We think projects there, you know, it's kind of three technique to nose tackle, but again, he's a top two fifty kind of kid, you know? And so, you know, Jack Larson's ranked as the number 49 player in the country should Notre Dame get him today. It would make sense that he'd be a, he'd be a take because he's the number 49 player in the country. Right. Top 50 player. You know, right. Cam Williams is committing next week to somebody. Notre Dame's in the running for that. He's a top 100 player, in my view. I think Rivals just bumped him up to like 104. So these are really good football players. Cedric Urban was never that. He was barely in the top 300 when he committed, barely in the top 250. And he was a nice player. And Cedric Urban's still a good player. I mean, this isn't he, he's a better player than Jack Nickel is, in my opinion. It's just it was too early to take a kid at a position where you're going to take so few kids. You know, it's one thing to reach a little early on an offensive lineman because you can take four or five. It's a little different at running back. So I think the staff is is doing its due diligence to make sure that it is taking guys that they view as that. And Ryan is spot on that, that you know, if, if there's a question about a kid, you're going to honor it if he's a kid that you recruited and you landed. 
And that wasn't the case with Cedric Irvin Jr., in my view. Good question, Detroit Hunter. John A1 asks, it's often a talking point discussing top offenses average over 40 points per game, but how much do these offenses average versus top 10 to 15 teams? How should elite versus elite look? Can I can I address this one first? Guys? Oh, yeah, this is right up your alley. I think this is the big thing that I've talked about is, is it's kind of like the 2019 offense, right? That was the most points Notre Dame has ever scored in a season. It was the highest point per game total of the last, like since the Charlie Weiss teams in 05 and 06. But it was a very misleading number because they scored like 66 against New Mexico, 59 against Bowling Green. They scored a bunch against like a bad Duke team, a bad BC team, but they scored 17 at Georgia. They scored 14 against Michigan. Like anytime they've played good teams, they've they have been in the teens. Like we were talking about Ohio State and games that Ohio State lost. It basically is when they lose games, they're sub 30. When Notre Dame loses games, they're sub 20. And that's and sometimes sub 10 especially in real minutes. I mean, if we're being honest, Notre Dame hasn't scored over 10 points in a big game, like a postseason game, in in moments where the game was in doubt. They didn't get to 14 points against Bama two years ago until the game was over and Bama had already subbed dudes out. You know, they didn't get to 10 points against Clemson until even though the starting defense was still in on that Chris Tyree run, the game was no longer in doubt. It was like, you know, 34 to 3, I think something like 31 to 3, something like that. Same thing in the in the Bama game in, in, in 2012. I think Notre Dame didn't score their second touchdown until the game was already kind of a route. And that's the problem, you know. So you're not going to be a 40-point-per-game team. And we've often said you've got to be careful not to look at the total number if it's coming because you're dominating the bad teams. But Notre Dame could score 14 points against Ohio State, 17 against Clemson, and, and still average 40 points this year. And it doesn't mean anything has changed. Because it, it really comes down to your point total is going to be high because you're scoring more in the bigger games. That's going to be the key. You know, so when you get to a postseason game, I've talked about this. Teams that have won the national title game have have, have averaged about 40 points per game in the postseason, in those championship games. Teams right. that win first-round games tend to average almost 40 points a game. You have to be able to score. During the regular season, it's a little different. I feel like the postseason is different because you get a whole month to prepare. But, you know, if you're going to play Clemson in the regular season, what are the odds that you're going to beat them 10-3? to 3? It's rare. And last year's game was a fluky situation with Georgia. That's a, Georgia, number one, doesn't have a great offense. Number two, Clemson's offense was a mess. If Clemson is traditional, you're not doing that to a Trevor Lawrence-led team, right? Like, keeping them down points-wise is kind of like what Ohio State did in 2019. They held them to 29, and Clemson didn't get to 29 until late in the game, right? It's what Notre Dame did. You hold them to 30. That's how you win those games. you got to be able to get to 30-plus in those big games. I don't think you need to score 40 all the time, especially with the defense as good as Notre Dame's, but you're not beating Ohio state with 20 to 24 points. Most likely you're going to have to get to 30 plus. Yeah. And that's the reality of it. So Great. 40, 40, you know, 38 plus is kind of the margin for me. Get to 38 plus on your overall average, but that's got to include being in the third, you know, 27 to 33 in your big games. That's really where you're going to have to be. All right. John A1 also says, now that the defense will be in its third different scheme in three years, do you think it's likely they will play faster and be more sound than they were in 2021? Vince, you want to why go ahead and start off with that one? Yeah, go ahead, Ryan, if you got something. Well, no, I was just going to say, why are we assuming that they're going to be in a third different scheme? It's still going to be kind of schematic. I mean, it's a third different defensive coordinator, but it's not right. really three different schemes. There's going to be some tweaks and some things of that nature, but I wouldn't call it three different schemes. I really wouldn't. Right. I 
I would say that the terminology is not going to change. I'll say that the terminology is not going to change, but it's going to look different, but it's still going to be a lot of the same stuff. And they're still trying to recruit the same types of players. It's a different emphasis is what it's going to look like. That's fair. That's fair, I guess. Yeah. But no, I don't, I don't think that they were slow last year. I don't think that they were unsound last year. I think there were some plays that they didn't make that they could have made. And I think that that, I mean, most of the guys that didn't make plays last year are back. Like, you know, as far as like just finishing some of those plays, I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking some of those uh, plays that weren't made at linebacker in the backfield, things like that. Those guys are all back. Like they're going to be better. And Marist is back and he's going to be healthy. And hopefully Jordan Batello is going to be on the field. And I just feel like a lot of those things are going to be taken care of. And it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with who the defensive coordinator is. I don't, I think if it was Marcus Freeman as DC or Al Golden as DC, I think the defense takes a step in the right direction regardless. So will they be a little bit faster? Maybe because they're more used to what they're doing. Are they going to be more sound? Hopefully they make less mistakes, I guess. But I I just don't – the correlation, I guess, is what is is hanging up on me. I think you're also just going to get faster in some spots, right? Like you mentioned Maris Loyfeld, talk about Brandon Joseph. There's a couple newcomers that are just going to add a little influx of athleticism to their – respective spots as well and then like you said Vince I mean another year in the, another year just of natural maturation guys are just going to be moving a little faster and I definitely understand John I understand your point completely it's like you know for guys to play as fast as they possibly can it's about a confidence thing right like it's a comfort in what they're doing I think though with Marcus Freeman still having you know his imprint on the program a lot of the stuff is going to still be similar can it look like to Brian's point a little differently because Al Golden's going to have a spin on it Sure, but I don't think they're going to compromise completely what has been successful under Coach Freeman to go completely different, right? Like, I think that we've talked about it before. Marcus Freeman brought Al Golden in because he thought that it could be, this is what we've done, put your spin on it, but this is still kind of our philosophy from a defensive perspective. So I think just natural maturation and then getting a couple newcomers, quote-unquote, in there is going to be big for the team speed. I, I want to say this too. I, I, I want to grant John's premise of third third scheme in three years. Just grant the premise because I think there's a point that needs to be made. The difference between the tra- the transition between Freeman and Golden, if if we're to accept the premise of the question, John, because I do think there's some merit to it because Al Golden's defense is going to look different than Marcus Freeman's. He's not like inheriting the playbook and just, you know, kind of like how there was really not much of a transition from Mike Elko to Clark Lee. Right. It was the same thing. Same this exact. is going to be more of a, 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 a more change than this transition than that one. Having said that, the reason to your guys's point, the reason that Marcus Freeman brought in Al Golden was not to install a new philosophy. It was to take the philosophy that Marcus Freeman believes in and then run with it. Do your thing right, with right. it. And that's what Coach Freeman was looking for. Correct. Th- that's different than what Marcus Freeman did when he took over for Clark Lee. Now, Coach Freeman gave lip service to the, the notion, and I think it was done out of respect for someone that, that you thought did a good job of, you know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're going to keep building on what – no, they didn't. They completely changed the way that right. Clark Lee ran defense, which I'm okay with uh, because you've got to do you got to do you. Right. Like what Clark Lee does works, what Marcus Freeman does works. You got to do you. Right. And so that transition was a lot different because that was a very structured, like very detailed. This is what's going to happen. This is exactly what you do. Don't stray out of the framework of what we do. Where with Marcus Freeman's defense, there's a little bit more at some. Hey, here's where I'm going to guide you to the ball. But at some point in time, you got to go make a play. 
And, and that's a different philosophy. And that was a big shift from 2020 to 2021. And that's why we did see some big plays give, be given up early because guys did, you know, they weren't quite as sound. And, and there were some mistakes that led to like the long run against Florida State, which was a, a, a big a mistake. There was another long run against Toledo that was a partly player mistake, partly call mistake because you had a new coach right. signaling in the wrong thing. He thought it meant one thing and it was ended up being something different. Those things tend to happen. This is going to be different because all that stuff is going to be – the terminology is going to be the same. The philosophy is going to be the same. The go make a play is going to be the same. It's a different voice, and that voice is going to have a little bit of a different way of getting to that objective, coverage-wise, alignment-wise, things like that. But the philosophy won't change, and that's why I think the transition will be smooth and why I think this defense will still be able to play very fast. And the other reason – you know how else you can play fast, guys? Is when you have a lot of fast players. Exactly. And Notre Dame has a lot of fast players on defense, in my opinion. TB12 for Heisman, in your opinion, is the dream of the number one class in 2023 still alive? Yes, but it gets a lot more difficult if they're not able to get a top quarterback in the class, sure. in my opinion. That's really where it comes to no, me. Let me ask you a question, Ron. Are you referring to the points-based top class or a, a, a more the right way to look at a top class? That Because I think those are two different. Because I agree with you on one point. The other part, it doesn't matter if they get a quarterback or not. If it's just the points-based system, if they don't get if they don't get Dante Moore, but they get some guy we're not thinking they're going to get who's a similarly ranked player, it doesn't matter in like a, a points-based system. Caleb, Caleb Downs or something like Samuel that. Samuel Pemba, I, I can, right. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Now, if we're going to talk about what you and I and, and Vince would think is a number one ranked class where we do put more emphasis on filling needs and important mm-hmm. positions, then it makes it harder. If you don't have yeah. a quarterback, period, I do mm-hmm. think it makes it harder. In, in a more subjective, yeah. proper way of doing a, a, a rankings class, I would say yes. But in the points-based yeah. system, Ryan, I would still say it's possible. Yeah. Uh, the bigger thing with with if, if you're not going to get Dante Moore – and look, just let it play out. We're not going to talk a lot about it. Let it play out. And once a decision is made one way or the other, I'll have a lot to say on the message board because there's a lot to this. There's a reason I have uh, made this topic sort of off limits for us. I'll explain all that when a decision is made. Um, but just let it play out. But I think the bigger issue isn't that they don't get a quarterback in the points-based system. It's that as a top 10 player that would have gotten you a lot of points if you right. were to get him. Exactly. So we'll have a lot more to say about that. But yes, the I mean, when you still have the receivers on the board that are on the board for them, when you still have mm-hmm. Charles Jagas on the board, when you still have Jason Moore, Jaden Osbury, uh, Caleb Downs, who, you know, we've never really thought they had a great shot at. Uh, but you've got Micah Bell, top 100 guy, Christian Gray, top 100 guy. There's a lot of highly ranked guys on the board. So, yes, that number one class is still very much uh, the hopes are alive. But the, the key is not so much focusing on number one. You've got to be in that top three in both categories, the the points-based and the subjective one. You have to be in that top three class, in my opinion. Ryan, here's one for you. It's a recruiting question from James Burlingham. What are the chances at Sammy Brown and Ryan Wingo? Uh, I love Brown's mullet. We need him badly. So, Ryan, I don't – you can comment on that, but I just a little bit more of a – you have had a chance to speak with Sammy and people close to Ryan Wingo. So just kind of give an update on – how those two visits went. James also asked if they have a legitimate shot at Sammy Brown. So can you just kind of talk about the odds, but then also just kind of update people on how the visit went for those two players yesterday? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So people that don't know, Sammy Brown is a linebacker out of Georgia. He is a near consensus top 20 player in the 2024 cycle, ranked as high as as top five. Mullet game is on point. 
he's got a great mullet, man. It's a great mullet. It really is. He's a, he's a fantastic player and he's spoke highly of Notre Dame in the past. They've been on him for a while. He wasn't a, he wasn't a, um, a pot of gold guy. He's been, he's had an offer for a long time from Notre Dame now. So he's been a guy that's been on the board, speaks highly. First visit he got up to Notre Dame. He's on a look. They're actually him and Wingo are both on the Midwest swing a little bit. They're going to be both at Michigan and Michigan State over the next couple of days as well. So everything that Sammy told me, he got to spend a lot of time with um, James Laurinaitis, which he was very complimentary of. He got to spend some time with Al Golden, which he was very complimentary of. He said he loved it. He's it was a great time. He had a, a tremendous time. He said that he would. Definitely at some point come back again. Like he he really had that big of an impact on him. So I think he had a great he had a great time overall. He said the only thing was he wasn't really able to check out the stadium as much because there's a, a concert apparently today that um a big concert. Do you know Billy you Joel, know, man? Billy yeah, Joel, that's a big yeah. Concert. I, Heck yeah, yeah that's no, a big I, concert. I, for, I forgot who it was for a second. I'm sorry. I know Billy Joel. People yeah. in their twenties are like, who? No, no, no. Everyone knows Billy Joel. Everybody knows. They Billy better. Man. They better. Um, yeah. Everybody knows Billy. That's Joel. a banning anyway. offense. That's a timeout offense in the chat. <laughs> even if you only know him as Christy Brinkley's ex-husband, that's still worthy of knowing who Billy Joel is. I don't even think I knew uh, that part. I'll be honest yeah, with you. I didn't know that. Uh, hey, look, man. I'm all about the music. I'm Get about out. the music. Get out. I'm about the music. He's so an anyway, artist. Ryan, back to the yes. back to the update. Sorry, artist. Billy Billy Joel distraction. <laughs> so yes. So they're in a good spot with Sammy Brown. Obviously, this one's like he's a five-star caliber kid out of the state of Georgia, right? So it's, it's going to be a tough one. Like, let's be honest about it. But very good first impression. Getting him back on campus, I think, is going to be huge if they're able to get him for a game visit this season. But they're in the conversation, which is anything that you want to be there with, right? Ryan Wingo, I actually I feel good about where they are with Ryan Wingo. I'll be very honest. He's been to Notre Dame before. Wasn't supposed to come back this summer or this spring. I talked to someone close to him a few weeks ago, and he said that he wasn't expecting to go back because he had already seen Notre Dame. He wanted to see mm-hmm. other places that he had not seen yet, but he made the trip, went back. He's been multiple times to Notre Dame. I spoke to his coach a few weeks ago, and I will say Ryan Wingo is a 100% a Notre Dame fit. That mm-hmm. kid is well-spoken, respectful, high, high academic kid. He would be a great fit at Notre Dame. Again, he's ranked as like the number three player in on, on, on three in the nation, right? So he's a top-of-the-board type of dude. Notre Dame is making a push. They've had him on campus a couple times, though. I think they're in the conversation. It's going to be another one where everyone's going to be after him. But Notre Dame put themselves, I think, in continue a good spot. He had a really nice visit, and, he, and his family was there with him as well, his mom and his dad, and they both enjoyed the trip as well. I want to answer a question that people have here real quick about Jadaren Price. Uh, Salty Virginia Peanuts asks, will Price receive a medical redshirt? And if so, does this open up a scholarship to ease their numbers crunch? So in college football, a medical scholarship is different than a medical redshirt. If you are put on medical scholarship, you can no longer play football. Done. Your football career at that institution is over. Now you can transfer somewhere else. And if they clear you, you can play somewhere else, but you cannot play at that school anymore. You can't just put kids on and off of medical Hardships is what it's called. A medical red shirt has more to do with just your season of eligibility is not lost because you couldn't play, right. you played four or less games. So there's a different situation. So will he receive a medical red shirt? Yes, he will. It won't likely matter because I don't think he's necessarily a five year running back anyway, uh, but he could be now. So he doesn't lose a year of eligibility. And what I would like to see happen is I wish the NCAA with this open portal thing, they're still hundreds of players in the portal without homes. Oh yeah. 
what I wish there was a window in July uh, leading up to fall camp, and it would end when fall camp starts, but like sometime in the month of July, where if you have a player that sustains a season-ending injury in the spring or summer, and that you could put him sort of on a a medical scholarship where it's kind of like the, the way the injured reserve used to be, Ryan, where when a guy's on injured reserve and he used, there used to be a time where once a guy went on injured reserve, he was kind of out for the year. You know, that's changed a little bit, I believe. Uh, you, you correct me if I'm wrong. Cause again, I don't follow the NFL think, as much, but I, I think you could put a, a player on or on a, the injured reserve and you, they come, I think there's one, they return after week eight, I think. And then right. there's one, and then there's another where they're out for the whole season. If I right. remember correctly or something like that. Yeah. So if a guy has an injury that, you know, he's done for the year, especially the regular season that you could then create a situation where he he's, he, you declare that. So he, he can't play but it takes his scholarship number away from you that you could then go get a kid who's in the portal that is looking for a home. I think that would be smart of the NCAA to do. Now, again, you'd have to create the rule to where a guy would – you can't come back. If you heal faster, once you make this move, the guy can't come back. So with some injuries, you're not – like with Logan Diggs, you wouldn't do that because he, you do think he can come back. If a guy tore his ACL in March, you may not want to do that because guys are coming back from that so much quicker now. If Jadarian Price injured himself in January, you may not want to do that because there'd be more time. But when you get hurt in June with what a – again, Notre Dame is the, ones, is the one saying this as well. An Achilles injury is kind of like the old ACL. It's kind yeah. of a year-long thing, you know, to really get back to speed. You know he's out. That There'd be something where they could kind of find um, relief from a scholarship standpoint in order to go into the – portal and and get a kid who's out there i think that would be good for teams and i think that'd be good for kids who are sitting there stuck without a place to go because notre dame's not going to be the only school that's lost bc just lost a starting offensive line they're only returning starting offensive lineman to a torn acl was it last week ryan or was yeah. it earlier this week it was last week yeah uh, christian mahogany tours acl he's out for the year they'd be mm-hmm. really nice if bc could could go say hey look he's out we're, we're not to fall camp yet let's go to the portal see if there's anybody that fits what we're looking for I would I wouldn't mind seeing that. It's one of those things that has to be done. If you're going to have the automatic transfer thing, it's one of those things, in my opinion, that has to be done to help with roster management. I don't know what you guys think about that. That's interesting. I never even thought about yeah, it. Yeah, that hasn't even crossed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Better though, since I'm going to be the next baseball head coach, I'm going to have to start thinking about that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, Vince. You're a baseball coach at Notre Dame. Uh, you can't get kids in the transfer portal anyway, so it doesn't matter. That's, true. That's a good point. That's another matter. good point. <laughs> I just love how he nonchalantly said that. That was hilarious. <laughs> Tyler Evans, this is an interesting one, Ryan. Uh, what state would you like to recruit kids from more? New Jersey. Okay. I'm just kidding, actually. Um, I, I think I think that's New already Jersey's started. not bad, though. Yeah, just nah, New Jersey's – they're, they're pretty recruited. Active in New they already Jersey. recruited pretty well. Yeah, they're pretty yeah. active in New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, did you say, say like Arizona is like a big hotbed right now for, for kids? Or it's it's getting better. Yeah, it's yeah. getting a lot better. I would say Texas is the big one, and they're doing it more this cycle already. So I think Notre Dame's already taken that one into action, honestly, Tyler. I think the the hotbeds that we're talking about are Florida, Texas, and California, right? Like those are the three main states. And then there's a lot of really good states like New Jersey that we just mentioned there, obviously Georgia and, and, and those types of schools that are, are obviously, I mean, um, states that are great as well. But I would say Texas is the big one for me. They already have 
what do they have? Two right now from the state of Texas with possibility of three with Micah Bell. Yeah, Peyton Bowen and Braylon James, right? And then and then you're in the running for Micah Bell. You're in the running for Jaden Greathouse. Mm-hmm. So you have a chance to have a really nice cycle in Texas. And, and that's one of those states where it's not like there's not going to be huge up and down swings as far as like, right. wow, Texas is down with, with talent next year. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those right. states that you're, it's just always consistently like if you get a couple really good players out of the state of Texas – it's just going to be a consistent thing every year. So I'd say getting getting in the Lone Star State consistently is a big one for me. Because for a while, for, again, the previous five cycles before this, they'd only signed three players in five years. So I think that getting t- getting tapped into that hotbed is a big thing for Notre Dame, in my opinion. Yeah, a year ago, Ryan, I would have agreed with you completely. I think they're yeah. already doing that. I think the Southwest yep. in general is an area that Notre Dame can and should have more success in. So with them now recruiting Texas, is there another state? I mean – I'd still like to see them really hammer the Virginia, North Carolina area even more. I really think there's areas where they could get kind of get into there. Like the DMV. Yeah. 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 Very much so. I hate Very much so. Just sit there and you have to yeah. wait. D- different DMV. <laughs> Which is kind of true if you've ever been on a highway around one of the big cities in that area. It's I have not. not I have a not yet. well-traveled human. So. No, oh, no. man. Oh, the yeah. Beltway. I hate oh, the it's beltway. pretty terrible. I hate the Beltway. Pretty terrible. Yeah. yeah. Got a super chat from Michael Brahoney with the price injury. Do you think that this will make Freeman and company to ramp up the Richard Young recruiting? I know it's a long shot. I'm going to take this one real quick, guys. All right, the two sure. really don't have a lot to do with each other. <laughs> uh, even if it's a year-long injury, you know, he's going to be back next year. I think there's a, a, a question about, you know, are you better year one or year two post-Achilles? That's a legitimate conversation, but I don't think this – Need this doesn't increase their need or desire to get Richard Young. They already wanted Richard Young. I don't as much <laughs> as you possibly could. I, I again, I, I don't think this is an injury that's going to really keep him from being a good player next year. Again, Achilles are tricky. I understand that any injury is a little tricky, but my point is, I just don't see this one being Ryan as being a situation where this necessarily needs to cause Notre Dame to change their their plans of taking a second back because they already planned on taking a second back, maybe three. Right in this class my mind went more towards the immediacy of it i was thinking in my mind like oh i I mean if richard young can reclassify to 2022 that'd be fantastic sure why not but otherwise i mean if he's a 2023 anyway so at that point jadarian price in theory will be back healthy from his injury and i know achilles have gotten you know they're scary at points but i I think at you know 18 19 years old whatever jadarian is right now it's not if he was a of a higher age i would have a lot more hesitancy on how strong he'll come back, but I'm not really worried about Jadarian Price coming back from from this lone injury. I think he'll be I think he'll come back strong and he'll be a great player for Notre Dame. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. 
That's BlueNile.com. Jeff Fluke with an interesting question, Ryan. Will the hype around the team help improve the game day atmosphere? I'm as far as what I guess is my. Is I think my just question. the excitement, the buzz, the crowd noise, the energy in the stadium, all that kind of stuff. I think it will. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't see but why that not. only lasts so long. I mean, right. if you come out and you're eight and four, nine and three, that buzz is gone. I mean, you got to keep winning, right? Like win that's the key. Games. But yep. yes, I, I do. I do believe there will be an early. But you know what? You know what the best. You know what the best thing for that is, winning and playing a better schedule than they've played in recent years. Just win, baby. That, that's the big thing. Is is it's, it. it's not even just winning, Vince. I mean, you're you're around here. You know it. There's a different energy in this town, and and, and I'm saying this to you, Vince, because you've been here since the '80s, especially the yeah. '90s when you were a little older. Sure, you can remember the energy of '93 when Florida State came to town. Oh. I mean, it's it's palpable around the whole city. Yes, you know, um, that's where co- I mean, COVID was a bummer for a million reasons, but that was one of the things about oh. the, the Clemson game because. So much of the town was like the people just weren't going out. So like you couldn't feel that same buzz. But right. had that been a normal situation, that would create similar thing. Your Ohio State game will be like that next year. Uh, but yeah, when there's a big opponent coming to town, and with all due respect, I don't care if Cincinnati was ranked number one. That's not a big opponent. It, was, it wasn't from that perspective. Nope. Agreed. Agreed. So USC was, was that way when they're good sure. as well. Yeah. And when Notre Dame, I mean, it helps when Notre Dame is good. Don't get me wrong. Like if when they're competitive and they're playing for something, especially when you get into like October, you know, late October, early November, you know, if they're still in contention for something, it's palpable, man. And you talked about the COVID year. That was the worst year ever going to games because Mm -hmm. my favorite part about going to games is walking up to the stadium. And mm-hmm. just taking in the whole atmosphere and just feeling, especially in October, leaves are turning. It's the fall. It's football season. It's not 100 degrees outside. And you you hear music playing from the dorms and you can smell the brats cooking. And I mean, the walk to the stadium is by far the best part of that day. And in COVID, it was like it was in the middle of May or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was. It oh, felt more like a spring game. Yeah. It was like yeah. you're going to watch practice. You know what I mean? Oh, there just so happens to be something going on in the stadium. But the atmosphere was horrible. It was horrible. So yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, it was. Um, I went to I went to the Cincinnati game last year, and it was a little demoralizing to be honest, man. Like you went in there, and it was just like red everywhere. I'm just like, what is happening right now? And I know Notre Dame wasn't a great football team. Like there was flaws, obviously, but they were undefeated going into that right. game. You know, like it was a huge game. Right. And. Cincinnati basically took over that stadium. It was it was the part of it. Game. Part of it though, and I think this is where Jeff's question comes from. Is I think a lot of that had to do with I think it was year twelve of Brian Kelly, and it was just kind of like uh, whatever. It, you know, we know what to expect, and everybody's waiting on a shoot to drop. That's what. What do you think the the phrase BKPTSD came from? Right. It was sort of like you know this is what we've come to expect after twelve years, and and you know we know we're going to be good, but we know we're also going to lose every big game we play in, right? Basically, it's kind of the, the the thought a lot. I mean, Vince, that you and I live around here, we we hear it, right? I mean, that was always a not even people that liked Brian Kelly, they all, they would then justify why it was okay to lose those games, but they still expected to lose those games. Yes, no question. And that was that was the that was the big key to that whole thing. So I, I do think as long as Marcus Freeman can 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 win and get some early career big wins, and he's going to have plenty of opportunities this year. He is. You know, I think that, that that's going to be important. And, and um, you know, there just weren't enough of those. That's really where a lot of the excitement comes from. It's it's a rivalry game. But the other thing, too, is like 
Notre Dame USC rivalry is different than like Ohio State, Michigan, Duke, North Carolina, Alabama, Auburn, because those are all such regional rivalries. The fans just are like kind of always there. That's not really true for Notre Dame USC. I mean, there's a lot of USC. There's a lot of Notre Dame fans out west. There's there's not exactly a lot of USC fans around here, and so I think it just that it what that does is that means that it has to be a better matchup. So I think USC getting good again is also good for Cute. Notre Dame. Cute. In my opinion. Yeah. And the ACC getting better. I mean, if, if the ACC time. Whole would get better, that only benefits Notre Dame. I mean, mm-hmm. let's be honest. You're you're locked into five games with them. And if Clemson's not on the schedule and apparently, you know, sometimes North Carolina, and there's a couple of outliers. But if you're not hitting the lottery by getting Clemson on the schedule, the ACC schedule doesn't help Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. I'm, right. I'm just glad that there's not many USC fans around here. You can keep yeah. them all over there. You can take all the Michigan fans, all the USC fans, put them on the deserted islands and ship them off. I'm good. <laughs> all righty. Here's a good one. Michael <laughs> Keeley. Uh, Ryan, I'll ask this one of you because I think you've studied this a lo- little bit more. Vince, if you have an opinion, you can follow up. Is the Jim Knowles hype overrated? Statistically, Last year was his best year, if I'm not mistaken. Could you look up how his defense is finished by year and make an assessment? So we have done that, by the way. We have done this in plenty of conversations. But, Ryan, I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of take a shot at this. Vince, if you have something you want to follow up with, go for it. But I'll have some thoughts at the end of, the, uh, of, that, of this part of the question as well. I don't, think he, I don't think he's – I mean, all right, so I guess we start out with, is the Jim Knowles hype overrated? As a savior of the team for 2022, yes. As maybe, like a quick yeah, turnaround. Maybe, yeah. yeah, sure. I can get there. Overall, though, Jim Knowles is a really good defensive coach. He he really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, his I mean, his scheme is very fast moving, a little complicated. There's a lot to it, but I think he's a really smart guy. And it's taken his teams at times some time to get acclimated to it, but when they do it turns around pretty quickly and he gets a lot out of the players. Yes. Cause if you look at that Oklahoma state team last year, there's not a lot of individual talent on that team. Like the right. Rodriguez kid, the, the linebacker was a good player. Jared Converse that transferred LSU is a good player, yeah. but there none he of wasn't winning stars. with a lot of first and second round picks is Ryan's exactly. point. Like really good exactly. college football players, but not like elite talents where you're like, Oh wow. Exactly. exactly. Right. Yep. Yeah. So it's not a lot of elite talent, but the system take gets the best out of them. Right. right. So, I think Jim Knowles is a really good coach. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for it to get acclimated to Ohio State, but I think long-term it's going to be a really good hire for them. But if you're thinking that Jim Knowles is going to come in there and it's going to flip the script day one with Ohio State, I I don't see that happening personally. Vince, you have any thoughts that you want to add to what Ryan just said before I roll on it? Well, I I mean, very basic as far as I like his scheme. I do like his scheme. I think he gets the most out of his players. I, I was just looking at his resume and where he's come from. You know, Cornell, I mean, he was, he was a coach at Cornell as an assistant and as a head coach. So he's used to dealing with smart players. And I think that has a lot to do with the way he runs his scheme. And so that would, I don't know if worry is the right term to use, you know, going into big, big boy college football at, at Ohio State. But at the same time, I think he's going to have to adjust a few things in order to be as successful as people want him to be. I don't think it's going to be an overnight thing, but I think he's a very, very good defensive coach he's been a defensive coordinator for a really really long time and he's had a lot of success for me guys it depends on how he how he implements his style because one thing i've talked about is if you actually first of all i think jim Knowles, big picture is a very good defensive coach he had duke 
rolling about as well as Duke can roll defensively sure. without the Jimmys and Joes. Because defense more than offense is about do you have dudes? Yeah, absolutely. And he recruited second. I mean, Ryan, there was a time during his tenure where where, where Duke had legitimate multiple NFL players, caliber players. I mean, not like first round picks, but like legitimate NFL caliber players in the secondary. A couple of them had some injury issues that kept them, but they had some legit athletes in the back end that, that he played a big role in recruiting and developing. But the one thing you look at when he, when he, his tenure is his first year at Duke and his first year at Oklahoma state, both, they gave up more yards, more yards per play and more points per game than they did the year before mm-hmm. for the coach was fired. And the reason goes to what Ryan said, which is, it is a very complex system. Right. And and he has been one of those guys that at the places he's gone has been very much a we're going to implement this defense and it and and I know it's going to take time. Having said that, I won't be shocked if Jim Knowles looks at this 2022 Ohio State team and says, Okay, we got a chance to play for a championship, right? Like we're going to do a little bit more of a, a slower transition of my system. Because I got to make sure I'm getting the most out of this group. Sure. Because I've got a really talented, we got a really good team. We got a dynamic offense. We, you know, we've got a chance if we can just be solid on defense to get this thing turned around. Cause he's never, let's be honest too, it's, it's, it just depends on his attitude about it. Cause if he looks at this the same way he did the Duke in the Oklahoma State, Ohio State's not going to be much better on defense this year. Next year, they'll start getting better. And by year three, they're going to be really good. Right, mm-hmm. in my opinion, assuming Ryan Day doesn't become an, uh, uh, the same kind of uh, roadblock to success on defense the way that Lincoln Riley is, I don't think he will. Because if you look at the one year that Ryan Day and 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 uh, Jeff Halfley worked together, Ohio State had a really good defense. Like, I mean, really good defense. So when I look at it, guys, it just depends on does he approach Ohio State differently because of the talent he's inheriting compared to what he did at Oklahoma State Duke. If he does then I think he'll make an even bigger early on transition. It just may take him a while to kind of do things his way. I think that's going to be the big key for me. But, yes, he's a very good defensive coordinator. It's just his approach has caused the transitions to be slower. It took him really three years because we started seeing it a little bit in 2020, Ryan. We started to see Oklahoma State start to take a step in 2020. They had some flashes, and then 2021, bam, kicked the doors down with a very experienced team for the most part. I mean, like Colin Martin came in. He was a freshman. Get a couple other young guys, but for the most part, that was a very veteran team. Colin, Colin, uh, Colin, Colin Oliver. You Colin just, Oliver. You can buy him Yeah, They were a pretty dynamic that's, duo. That sounds yes. like a good player, yes. man. That sounds like yes. a really good player. Yes. Uh, but he was the freshman. But for the most part, they were they were juniors and seniors, a lot of those guys. So mm-hmm. it, it just depends on what he wants to do. But, no, I don't think – I don't think the hype is overrated if we're talking realistic what the expectations are long term. I think to your point, people are acting like he's going to turn this into a vintage Ohio State defense in year one. And I think people like that are overestimating. I think the hype has more to do the the overrated hype has more to do with Ohio State's talent. I think people have overrated Ohio State's talent, especially at linebacker and in the secondary. Yeah. I actually think they have really good talent up front. It just hasn't been utilized. But the guy that has underutilized that talent the last couple of years is still there. Yeah. And Larry Johnson. I don't think they have they this is not a this is not a a secondary like they had in 2015 where future first round picks were coming off the bench. Everywhere. Right. Like this that this isn't the Eli Apple, uh Jerry Conley, Von Bell, uh Denzel who, Ward. Denzel <laughs> I mean, this isn't that group. It's yeah. they don't have that kind of talent in the secondary. Will they get back to that? Maybe. But they're, that's just not who this group is. They don't have a Baron Browning 
at linebacker, the, the or Pete Werner at linebacker. I mean, they're they're trotting out Cody Simon and you know Steel Chambers, Steel Chambers, and, and yeah. Tommy Eichenberg, and the, the the kid that just transferred from Arizona State, the Ohio kid that just transferred from uh, uh, Arizona uh, that State. Was, that was the running back over there. Yeah, right? he was running he's back. He's he's going to move the linebacker there. You know, I mean, it, they just don't have the same talent level. So I think mm-hmm. that's going to be something too that people need to understand. Where if he isn't able to turn this into like the 2019 unit, I mean, you look like the Jeff Halfley we were talking about, right? I mean, go look at who they had on that football team in 2019. I'm sorry, that group doesn't exist on the current roster at Ohio State. I mean, let's just kind of go through some of these names, guys. Uh, <laughs> there's a guy named uh, defensive end named uh, Chase Young. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of him, Ryan. I know you cover the NFL draft, He's but okay. he may not. May not have been a big name. I think he was only picked number two overall. I think only. Um, you had, uh, as you said, Jeff Okuda, Baron Browning. Jeff Okuda was what, number four overall pick? Something Baron like Browning that, yeah. was a third-round pick. Pete Warner was on that football team. Jordan Fuller is currently a starter for the Rams, correct? Good player. Uh, Malik yeah. Harrison, very underrated player uh, in, in college for them. Damon Arnett, head case, but a first-round draft pick. Uh, I mean, Sean Wade, you know, very talented player. On that football team, I mean, they had some they had some guys on that football team, guys. I mean, yeah. they had some dudes on that team, and so yeah, that team's going to be better. And they just don't have that level of talent right now, in my opinion, especially in the back end and at yeah. linebacker. But uh, linebacker is going to change quicker than the secondary because they do have some freshmen that are dudes that I C. think, C. yeah, CJ Hicks, Hicks. I mean, especially CJ Hicks. I really Powers. like CJ Hicks. Yeah. Powers, I like. I think a couple of the, uh, I think a couple of their linebackers were a little overrated, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. But I love Sonny Styles' projection as a linebacker. I think it may take him a little extra time because he should have been in high school this year. To be completely yeah. honest with you, I think I think he should have waited. I'm not a big fan of reclassifying. If you know, and we'll talk more about that as the summer goes on, but. I love CJ Hicks. I thought he was an excellent player. I think Gabe Powers is overrated, but overrated doesn't mean I don't think he's good. Mm-hmm. I think he's very good. I just don't think he was like the the five star, you know, top fifty guy that some people made him out to be. Uh, but but it was a it was a very good it was a very good group nonetheless. And then of course I, they I wonder, lost the McCullough kid at one point in time. I want I wonder where they're playing Sonny in their defense because apparently. Brian, I heard that they're playing that the Hickman kid that was their safety last mm-hmm. year was probably their best player. Apparently, he's playing like their whatever they call their the over bullet or whatever. Over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Archer's yep. in here, the Ohio State fan. I think they call it bullet, but I could be wrong on that. Archer could maybe sure. clear that up for us. Uh, yep. Vince, if you see that down there when it pops up because you're scrolling the bottom, yep. but it's kind of like a rover position, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's where Sonny, it was, that's where they were selling Sonny he would play. And I think that's perfect for him because he's he's long. He's a little to me, almost a little too long to be an inside linebacker. I worry about him getting chopped. You know, he's six five, uh, but he's so rangy and athletic and fluid and smooth that I could see him being that kind of guy. I think to me, he's either going to be a rover or outgrow that and be an end. I think that's kind of how I <laughs> see Sonny Styles, right? Like yeah. just because of his frame, you know, if he's big enough to be a Mike, then I just say put him on the edge and let him rush the quarterback. Uh, otherwise, I'd let him. You know, I I, I kind of treat him very similar uh, that I would treat the the rover at Notre Dame, right? Jalen Sneed. It's like let give him a shot at rover, but if he can't, then you start moving him inside. Is is now what is what I think that they should do. So, yeah. All right, let's get down to here. Some more questions, guys. We got a lot of a lot of them in today. Justin Carlson on Monday, someone asked a question about the upcoming NCA game. That's for EA Sports. If IB were to have a tournament on the new NCAA game and couldn't use Notre Dame, who would you guys pick? So this is just using 
This is just using 2022 teams, correct? Like, so, so like, yeah, going into 2023, right? Right. You can't use Notre Dame. Who would you, who yeah. would you pick? Hmm. Like I knew, if we were playing the old one, you know, I knew who I would pick. See, I, oh, this is tough for me. Um, it's not in my mind. I'm projecting on who should be good in 2023. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Who's going to be the quarterback that year? Let me think. Yeah, I, w- I would pick a team like Ohio State because they're going to they're going to inflate those numbers and those are going to have all kinds of skill guys all over the place and they're going to have a really good running back. And in those games, it's all about the offense. So I will take Ohio State. Hmm. Do you have one, Brian? I'm still pondering. I'd probably go Texas just because, again, it's about how I like to use the game. I was always a guy that liked to throw the ball. Hmm. And, you know, so going into 2023, I'll have Quinn Ewers, who's going to be super overrated on the game. (laughs) And on the game, I don't have to deal with him being a head case, right? Like, if I'm just going off of what his ratings are going to be on the game, uh, give me that. I'll still have Jarrell Worthy. You know, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think that's probably where – because the style of play, you know, because the playbook and, and, you know, lots of receivers, that's probably where I would go is it would be that direction. But, again, I mean, to me, the way I did it back in the days, I would get, create my own playbook. So it didn't matter who I used. Well, <laughs> I was going to run my offense. I, I was creating players. So yeah, yeah. What I used. I, so. Yeah. I, th- I think I'm picking Alabama – Cause I'll have probably the uh, what's that kid's name Milroy or whatever his name is the, yeah. the younger quarterback. Yeah. He's a really yeah. he's a really nice athlete. So I run the triple option with Alabama. Let's do okay. it with the triple option, huh? So you're an option guy in the in oh, triple yeah. option. Oh, oh man, fantastic! If you know how to do it, it's fun. <laughs> oh yeah, just saying. Uh, yeah, we know. You guys are both making me want to pearl. <laughs> against you just to do it. Yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> excuse me. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, Jordan Schreiber also kind of follows up on this. Is Styles going to play the same position as Avery Davis? Talking about Lorenzo Styles. Any indication if Stucky and Reese are going to be willing to play Merriweather and Colsey in a tight rotation? Jordan, I would advise you to listen to the show we did the other day on receiver that Ryan and I did. We dive into that much, much deeper. I'll just quickly answer your question. Uh, yes, I think they will be willing to play the freshman. Uh, yes, Lorenzo Styles does play the same position as Avery Davis. At times, he also plays X and will play some W. But um, I, I want to just bring this up just to refer you back to the show that we did a couple days ago that Ryan and I did. We dove much deeper into this than we would be able to do justice to the conversation in the show today. Jordan also says, I, re- uh, I really hope Barnes wins the other cornerback job. I love seeing him lay players out. I also hope Mickey is a rotation guy and Lewis has moved to nickel or safety. Is this a real possibility? Ryan, you want to take a, a shot at this one? Or, I mean, excuse me, Vince, you want to take a shot at this one, this first part, because I know you absolutely love Ryan. I do love Ryan Barnes, and I would not be upset if he won the other corner job at all. And, yes, he can hit, but he's also long and athletic, and he's going to make plays, and I, I do like him over there. As far as Mickey's the rotation guy and Lewis has moved to nickel or safety, I don't know that he's going to be moving to safety. It's possible. We, we talked about that a little bit last year, but I think the safety depth has gotten better since then. So I don't know that that's the move that they're necessarily going to make. I think they're, I think it's corner or bust uh, for him, for Lewis. And I, I mean, based on everything that we're hearing out of, you know, the, out of the coaching staff and everybody else, you know, that's over there, they love Jade Mickey. He's going to get time. He's going to play. Now, what that rotation looks like, that remains to be seen, but he's going to play. So, uh, yeah, I, I would be fine with him being with, with Barnes being the other corner and having Mickey and Lewis be rotation guys, your nickel guys. I'd be fine with that. Yeah, Mickey's going to play. Just to reemphasize what 
then said, if Ryan Barnes takes the onus on himself and he is the unquestioned best corner opposite of Cam Hart, I think that gives your team the best possible outcome in the secondary. I don't think that they'll move Clarence Lewis, but Brian, we've talked about this a ton in the past. I would love to see Clarence Lewis play some snaps at nickel. I really would. I think that Mm -hmm. he would be really good in that role because he's tough. He's physical. He's pretty sticky and and short, you know, when he's, Mm -hmm. when he's working short to intermediate, it's just the long speed that gives you a little bit of concern. Right. So I think in that role, he could be a really good football player, but I think that they're going to keep him at outside corner because he's, he started for two years, right? Like he's had a lot of experience in that role. So. Next question from Jordan says, are you hearing that Lug is probably going to start the guard position with Patterson this year? Uh, when both leave after the season, who do you see as the front runners on this for the starting guards next year? Uh, we've reported that multiple times uh, that we expect that to happen. So we don't need to address the first part. Uh, yes, we've heard it so much that we've talked about it. We've heard it from ourselves. Uh, when both leave after the, after the season, and, and this is the part I want you guys to address, uh, Ryan or Vince, we'll start with you. When luck, because Lug and Patterson are both out of eligibility after Correct. this year. Yes. Somebody so when they leave, who do you see as the guys that will be the front runners, so to speak? So if you had to pick, you know, two guys to start at those two guard spots next year, who would your prediction be? I'll go, uh, Vince, start with you, and then Ryan will go with you. I will go with Shrouth and Christophic as okay. the in the clubhouse. Okay. Interesting. See, I'm going to go a little different. I'm actually going to say, I'm going to say Rocco Spindler for one. And I'm going to say Billy Shroud for the other. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Because I don't, I don't know if they would bring Kristofic back for a fifth year to start for a year. Although technically he could probably get a sixth year out of it. But uh, I, I, I kind of think it because Rocco was already challenging this Kristofic this spring, and I think another year under his belt, I think he transitions to that. And I think Billy Shroud is just yeah, Rocco will be my third one. I was just I was disappointed yeah. in the way Rocco looked this sure. Spring. To be honest, early with you. on he looked dumpy, yeah. but he was playing much better by the end of the uh, end of the spring. I thought he looked good in the blue gold game. Uh, he's also still several years behind Andrew Kristofic. You know he's got a ways to go. True. I think the other part of it for me too, Vince, is I, I like Andrew Kristofic a lot. Ryan, I know you're also very high on Andrew Kristofic. It's about the age thing, you know. Like it, th- there comes a point in time as a coach that you got to decide: okay, am I going to want to go three years in a row of finding a new starting guard if if it's close? Sure. As opposed to just say, hey, let's let's roll with the, the maybe the, the the younger guys who may be a bit more talented, perhaps. So I think that battle will rage. So I think those are the three candidates for me. Yes, absolutely. but I I could see Rocco uh, winning that job. But you're gonna have an idea by the end of the year because those guys will have shown themselves. I think Rocco's a certainty for me. I think the bigger question is not Rocco. I think the bigger question for me would be Billy Shrouth. Because here's the deal. Billy Shrouth is is the I mean the highest rated guard of the group. I mean he you guys know I was very high on Billy Shrouth. Definitely graded him out higher than Rocco, but kid hasn't played a snap of college football yet, even in a practice because of the injury. He's gonna we have a lot we got to see from him. He's gonna be here behind Rocco. So if Christophe comes back, I think Shrouth would then be behind Christophe battling him, and then Rocco would be at the other spot. That so I think what they would probably do going into the spring if Christophe's on the team is have Christophe and Rocco be the top two guards and then Shrouth is kind of pushing one of them he may start I'd start him behind Kristofik if he beats Kristofik out then you're good if he doesn't beat Kristofik out but Kristofik's playing better than Rocco you could always consider moving him to the other spot that's the thing is there's some interchangeableness there where basically you're going to get to play your best two guards but I would 
I would probably, you know, lean towards coming out of the season. Maybe it's Christophic and Rocco, but give Billy Shrouth a fall on the scout team and then a spring, and he may be he may be tough to keep out of the lineup, in my opinion. That would be my my two cents on that one. Good good answers, guys. I think the better question is who's the center, honestly. Well, that's gonna be Zeke Carell. Zeke will be back. Technically, Zeke has yeah, two years here. left. Does he have two years be- left? Because oh, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty right. sure because of COVID. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You're, you're probably right now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I think he had a he had a, a red sh- a regular red shirt. And so because mm-hmm. he didn't play in 2019 and then 2020 didn't count. So he was technically a red shirt freshman this year. Which That's is crazy. Insane. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> insanity. I agree. Yeah. But I mean, that's just the that's the weird thing. So technically, Zeke has two years left, right? I'm I'm doing this correct, right? 2019, he redshirted. So he would have mm-hmm. gone into 2020 as a redshirt freshman, right? And yeah. he played yeah. in 2020, but that year mm-hmm. doesn't count. Right. Mm-hmm. So 2021, he's year. technically in his second year of eligibility. He didn't play in his first year, so he'd be a redshirt freshman. So now he's a redshirt sophomore. So technically, he'd have yeah. two years after this, That's right? Crazy. He could That's end up crazy. still being a three-year starter at center yeah. Yeah. as a class of 2019 signee. I believe I got that correct. I think you So are. if Zeke plays well, Ryan, obviously, now that we've we've talked that through, if Zeke yeah. plays well, we know who the starting center is going to be. I That's do fair. think there's a good question about who is next because if Zeke's the player we think he can be, I don't mm-hmm. think he comes back for a sixth year. Good right. Play. With his injury history, if he's a dominant player and, you know, maybe the NFL comes calling, he leaves and he's a day two pick maybe. I think – but I would say I think there is a chance because of his size that he never mm-hmm. gets enough love from the NFL to leave or to leave, and could end up being a three-year starter. It's very possible. We'll see how it plays out. 